Hello, this is Gary Meese with the case against. We're continuing to look at uh, the case of the West Memphis Three. In particular, this week we're going to look at uh, Jesse Miskelly Jr. In the past, we've looked a lot at the background of uh, Damian Eccles and um, Last week we looked at uh, Jason Baldwin. I think uh, part of the take of supporters on, on all this is that all this is irrelevant to the events that actually occurred on May 5th, 1993 when Damien Eccles, Jason Baldwin, and Jesse Miskelly Jr. killed Michael Moore, Stevie Branch, and Christopher Byers in a little patch of woods known as Robin Hood Hills in West Memphis, Arkansas. They're free to believe that if they wish. My belief is, is that the behavior patterns of these three individuals give us some significant clues as to what their, their the means and motives of, of why this occurred and how this occurred on that particular evening. And um, Miskelly's a less complex character, I think it's safe to say, than, say, Damian Eccles. But uh, his record is by no mean, means free of uh, violence and really bad behavior. And uh, that's what we're going to talk about this evening. And we're and I want to emphasize that at the time of his arrest, uh, Miskelly was a month or so away from turning 18 and being an adult, uh, despite all the talk about his, the state of his mind and him being sem you know, semi-retarded or borderline retarded and all that, which is questionable in some respects, but, uh, you know, he's not an intelligent fellow. He wasn't then. He certainly isn't now. Uh, but he, uh, he was not functioning at the level of a six-year-old as people like Bob or five. I think Bob Ruff got it down to five-year-old at some point during his podcast. He was functioning at a lower level maybe than a lot of the kids on the trailer park his age, but he was functioning. He, had, he went to work, had a girlfriend, he seemed to socialize quite a bit, he seemed to have a lot of friends, he was independent, he went around and did pretty much what he wanted, uh, didn't seem to answer to his, his father a whole lot, which is the only real parent he had at that point. Uh, he, and he was concerned about his father's opinion of him, as the ca the case files indicate. Um, but you know, he was not somebody who was just incapable of getting along in the world in some sense. Would he, was he going to thrive? Was he going to get a PhD? Was he going? <laughs> you know, he was talking about enrolling in college when he got out of prison. I don't think he got very far with that idea, but, you know, it wasn't totally out of the question for him, despite his admittedly limited intellectual abilities, that he would actually go 
get some kind of education. And in fact, he seems to have had pretty good mechanical skills and probably would have done well in some sort of mechanical class as long as there wasn't a lot of technical reading involved, which is a whole nother issue. But anyway, uh, we're going to, this is chapter 9, 19, not 9, 19 of The Case Against. My name's Gary Meese. I'm the author of uh, Blood on Black and Where the Monsters Go, which are two, a two-volume set on the West Memphis Three case outlining the case against them. And I condensed those two books into one more affordable, arguably more readable uh, book called The Case Against the West Memphis Three Killers. Uh, all the three books are available on Amazon in Kindle and in print. Kindle's a lot more affordable, but if you like print, that's fine, too. They're both available. Anyway, the this is from a chapter in Blood on Black called Jesse took a knife out of his pocket and put a knife to my throat. Even more so than Damien Echols, Jesse Miskelly Jr.'s name was linked to a number of violent episodes often aimed at younger children. John Earl Prashecki Jr., a 14-year-old 8th grader living at Lakeshore Estates Trailer Park, which is th this trailer park that was situated between Marion, Arkansas and West Memphis, Arkansas, where Damien uh, Echols hung out, where Damien's girlfriend, Dominique Teer, lived, where uh, Jason Baldwin lived where all three uh, uh, Jesse Miskelly had lived at one point and Damien Eccles had lived there at one point. Um, anyway, Prusecki uh, confirmed to West Memphis Police Department Bill Durham on September 6, 1993, which was about three months after, almost exactly three, four months after the killings, that he had been attacked by Miskelly. Uh, Pacecki said the incident in January 1992 on the railroad tracks north of west of Lakeshore was witnessed by at least five others. Quote, we heard someone coming up. According to Pacecki's handwritten statement, we tried to hide. Jason, Damien, Jesse, Buddy, and four other boys were with them, and so Jesse shoved me against the side. Now, Buddy would be Buddy Lucas, who... Uh, Miskelly's subs actually he'd had he'd done before this date. Miskelly had testified to uh, Miskelly had uh, confessed to uh, Buddy Lucas the day after the killings about his involvement in this this before the bodies were found, and Buddy Lucas eventually talked to police about that. But that's getting back to Prashecki's description of this. Jesse was first talking to me and then after a while Jesse took a knife out of his pocket and put a knife to my throat and he said would you like to be dead and so he shoved the knife harder and so he put the knife up and then Jesse hit me and Buddy too and I couldn't tell who all was hitting me. Damien and Jason and the other boys were still on the railroad tracks and there he was yelling at me and then they all left. I walked home. I was coughing up blood. Uh, the incident was another example as well of Eccles, Baldwin, and Miskelly hanging out together. Despite this description of them as barely knowing each other, not really being friends, 
so forth, there are many descriptions of them being with each other. And there's no doubt that Baldwin and uh, Eccles hung out together all the time. And it's safe to say Miskelly was not that tight with those two, but he spent time with them. They went pl some places together and they did some things together. As even Damien Eccles acknowledges. Uh, a girl at that scene, Tiffany Allen, was a 13-year-old Lakeshore resident when she gave a statement on October 7, 1993, about another violent attack by Miss Skelly. Quote, we had gotten into an argument and he had been spreading a rumor around that he was having sexual intercourse with me to all these people. Eh, mind you, this is a 13 or perhaps 12-year-old girl at the time. Uh, and I confronted him with it, and he kept saying all this stuff, so I slapped him. For a year, I didn't hear anything from him, and somebody came up to me and said that he had been looking for me, and so I just didn't worry about And one day I was walking through the park, and he was at the road, and he came up to me. He started running at me, and my boyfriend stepped in in front of me, and he hit Carl. Carl being the boyfriend, apparently. He hit Carl, and then he hit me, and we started to walk away, and then he started coming after us again, so we ran. Until one of my friend's parents came and got us and took me to my house. She had a busted lip as a result of this encounter. West Memphis Detective Brian Ridge had a copy of the complaint dated March 12, 1993, the day after they gave essentially the same account and this was about six weeks or so before May 5th 1993 when Miss Kelly was involved in beating brutally beating up Michael Moore in particular according to his own confessions and there were many of them Tiffany's mother, Gayla Allen, was present during the interview along with the child's grandmother, Vera Hill. Gayla Allen told Ridge she had gone to the Miskelly home after the incident. Jesse Jr. ran out the back door while she was knocking on the back door, ran out the front door while she was knocking on the back door. When she returned later, okay, I knock on the door. Jesse Sr. was sitting in there and he said that he just could not do anything with his son. This seems to be a common theme with the Miskelly household regarding little Jesse, as he was known. Tiffany said Susie Brewer, Miskelly's girlfriend, had made threats. She just said that if I put Jesse in court or in jail or anything like that, I better watch my back because they were all going to be after me and all this stuff. And um, his cousins confronted me with it and everything, and I never, ever, ever heard nothing from Jesse. It was always somebody else. Tiffany, who had been identified as a member of a satanic cult by that he also claimed to be a part of by Miss Skelly, denied any direct knowledge of such a cult at Lakeshore, but said that if one did exist, it would be meeting at nighttime in a field behind the old sewage plant. Ridge reported, Tiffany admitted that she was aware that a cult-like group did exist in or around the trailer park 
but she did not know any of the members, nor had she attended any of the meetings. She, she seemed afraid for her safety and reluctant to give any information concerning these activities because of the fears she had for her safety. S Tiffany stated she did not she stated that she did not know Jesse to be a member of a satanic group. However, she also stated that she has been with people that she had heard were in the group and she was unaware that they were members as well. And um, one of his later confessions, uh, Miskelly described the satanic group meetings as being pretty much where she described that meeting would be, which is behind the uh, behind Lakeshore, uh, out in a field someplace. He described Eccles as they would light a fire. Miskelly seemed to use this as an occasion, excuse to drink if, as if he needed one. And uh, Eccles would invoke demons or something in his, in something that sounded like Latin or a strange language to Miskelly. I don't know if Miskelly was even aware that Latin is a thing. I don't remember the exact quote, but it was something to the effect that he was get, he was talking in a strange language. Uh, Tiffany also described a fight she had witnessed between Jason Baldwin and John Prashecki. Uh, John hit him hard and he started bleeding. Then after the fight and everything, Damien bends down, put his finger in, dips into the blood, and then sticks it in to his mouth. Miskelly repeatedly told a similar story, widely told around the trailer parks, that contributed to the belief that Eccles was a blood-drinking Satanist. And in fact, Eccles told... Uh, says social worker that he was consulting after being in mental institutions for three times in, in the space of the year before the killings that he uh, drank blood in order to obtain powers and that was part of his strategy for attaining godlike powers. Little Jesse had long-term problems with violent acting out. Miskelly recently had been involved in an incident in which he threw a rock at a little girl aged about five or six, hitting her in the head, prompting a call to the police. He was on probation on charges related to that assault when he was arrested for the murders. Years earlier, on May 4, 1988, which is almost exactly five years before the killing, when he was about 11, is that right? <coughs> I actually think he would have been about 12. Miskelly had been accused of hitting another girl on the head with a rock or brick after Miskelly began beating her up, beating up her abusive boyfriend. When Miskelly attacked her boyfriend, she had jumped in to defend the boyfriend. So, I guess in this instance, Miskelly was being the 
chivalrous, chivalrous white knight defending this girl and <laughs> kind of uh, ridiculous fashion. Uh, once Miss Kelly starts wailing on the, the boyfriend, she jumps in and uh, starts hitting uh, Miss Kelly, getting him, getting her off, getting him off her abusive boyfriend. Even earlier, Miss Kelly had stabbed a fourth grade classmate in the mouth with a pencil. His problems dated to early childhood. Counseling and hospitalization had been recommended, but there was never follow through from his parents. The book Blood of Innocence, uh, described in June 1987, report from a social worker based on a court ordered exam. The social worker quoted Shelbya Miss Kelly, his stepmother, He gets so mad he's capable of hurting someone. She said he had a habit of punching out windows, once requiring several stitches to his left hand. When blood was found on one of his shirts after his arrest for murder, Miskelly said it was his own shed after punching out soda bottles. According to Blood of Innocence, the social worker's report stated, Mrs. Miskelly reported Jesse does not own up to his wrongs, that he always blames someone else. She denies Jesse becomes physical with she or her husband, but will clench his fist and take his anger out on someone else or something like breaking the window. Shelby Miskelly told the social worker, I don't think he can control his temper. He needs some help. Years later, a former FBI profiler, apparently oblivious to the history of violence common to all three killers, weighed in on the case. In Law and Disorder, uh, his book, John, one of his books, John Douglas wrote, quote, Damien and Jason had no indicative violence in their past, and while Jesse was known for a hot temper, he channeled his aggressions into pursuits such as wrestling. Though the three were raised in a culture in which corporal punishment was common, none were abused. Ergo, they weren't punished for they weren't they didn't get corporal punishment for all this bad behavior. Uh, and, and I'm not particularly a fan of corporal punishment, but. Uh, some consequences for bad behavior with children is usually a, a good strategy for good parenting. And there was very little of that going on with any of these three. And I will say that I think the, the parents in all three cases were struggling, trying to do the best they knew how to do under the circumstances. But you had a heavily drinking father and with Jesse Miskelly Sr., who had his own sort of violent streak himself. He was known for being really tough, loved to fight, etc., etc. And even though he's not, I think he's only about five, six or so, he was known as Big Jesse because he was strong and tough. 
you have uh, Jason Baldwin living with a, a father, a stepfather who uh, drank and beat, beat his wife and his kids on the weekends, uh, according to Je Jason Baldwin himself. Uh, with Damien Eccles, you have a stepfather who was accused of sexually abusing uh, Damien's sister, Michelle. He was accused of verbal abuse. The mother, uh, Damien's mother, has some sort of mental condition that makes her, made it difficult for her to raise her children. She was described as always needing help, though it's, it's really unclear what that condition actually is. Um, Baldwin's mother was uh, hospitalized a number of times for his, his hysterical behavior, apparently was hallucinating just a few months before the, uh, uh, the killings, uh, had tried to commit suicide, had gone to the emergency room a number of times. Uh, a very chaotic situation there, and indeed a very chaotic situation in all three families with a lot of unstable relationships between the various parents and uh, step-parents and so on. Uh, Miskelly's been through, Miskelly Sr.'s been through a bunch of wives and various partners. Uh, at the time of the killings, uh, Jason's mother had and Jason had chased his stepfather out with a baseball bat uh, over some violent incident, apparently. And uh, his mother had moved in a chronic felon named uh, Dink Dent for a couple of weeks, and they weren't getting along. And she was she was having her own struggles with mental illness, as I said. And in the case of uh, the Eccles Hutchison family, uh, Damien's mother had divorced his stepfather, Jack Eccles, just almost exactly a year before, had gotten back together with his real father, who he hadn't seen in a number of years. They went out to Oregon. Damien and his father got into a, a huge argument that ended up with him going to the mental going to, um, once again, to a mental hospital, St. Vincent's in Portland. Uh, parents did not want him living there. They considered him to be dangerous. He threatened to cut his mother's throat, threatened to eat his father with a spoon. Uh, just one of the several violent incidents that got Eccles placed into mental institutions three times in the year before he was arrested for murder. I'm laying the, all this out just to put the context in for what I'm going to read now from John Douglas, his conclusion. Here's what he had to say. In sum, I found nothing in the behavioral backgrounds of Damien Eccles, Jason Baldwin, or Jesse Miskelly to suggest that any were guilt, guilty of murder. Douglas was hired by the defenders of the killers uh, he did not respond to questions about the case, and I did pose those to him. And I, I really wonder how he would defend that statement, but he'll never have to because nobody will ever ask him about it in any kind of public venue. It just doesn't happen.
anyway, that's all from me this week. Uh, maybe a short episode, but I covered what I needed to cover. And uh, I'll be back again next week with episode 20. And I may do a repeat of an earlier episode, which hopefully the quality of the recording will be better. So if I repeat myself next week, so be it. I've gotten a lot more used to, I've gotten better equipment. I've got a, a throat problem that I was having largely resolved, it was causing coughing, and I've gotten more comfortable with doing a podcast and talking about the case into a microphone. It's a learning process for me, and thank you for bearing with me if you listened this far, or if you're listening for the first, first time to this, and this is the first episode you've listened to. Be assured that uh, some of the earlier episodes are, you know, I'm not, I'm not doing a high-quality episode here anyway. I don't have sound engineers. I, I'm not editing this in any kind of way that I'm aware of. Uh, but I'm doing the best I can. I, I'm a print guy. I've never said I was a podcast guy, but I'm doing a podcast because essentially nobody else would. Nobody else has. And I've got the material at hand. I put a lot of work into these books, and I want to get, get the information out uh, because I want people to understand that the, the th three men parading, particularly Eccles and Baldwin parading themselves around as, as victims of the justice system are no such thing. They are convicted killers who indeed killed three small boys. And they should be treated as such, which is not to say they've served their time. Let's give them that. They worked out a deal and served their time. But they shouldn't be getting any kind of preferential treatment. They shouldn't be getting donations. They shouldn't be able, shouldn't be able to go on Kickstarter and raise $40,000 or $30,000 in their various vanity projects. They should be treated like the social pariahs they, that they really should be, but are not. All because of Hollywood and uh, the propaganda that was started all in response to people who were concerned that somebody was actually going to get the death penalty who really deserved it. If anybody deserved the death penalty, Damian Eccles deserved it. And I, I, I will say again that in a better world, it would have been delivered to him sometime in... March or April of 1994, maybe on May 5th, 1994, which was original, his original execution date, that would have been a real good day to take him down the hall, strap him in, turn on the juice. It's a shame it didn't happen. That's enough for me this week. This is Gary Meese signing off.